0: Ah, you know what old Jack Burton always says at a time like this? When you have to shoot, shoot, don't talk. Hello everyone, what is up? It is me, Ewan, and welcome to a new episode of the Wheel of Dad Movies podcast. Things are taking a dark turn this week. Some could even say they're taking a bit of a a noir kind of
1: what a Direction. weird, what a odd thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> You're off the case, Pedersen.
0: I'm, I can't do segues. This no. is, this is what it is. Um, hey folks, we're, it's We Love Dad Movies time. Um, <laughs> it's me, Ewan. I already said that. And it's Zan. You can tell that I'm off my game because Zan's here. And they're putting me off <laughs> no, say hello. Well,
1: I've done absolutely nothing wrong. I'm just uh, sowing the seeds of doubt and red herrings, much like a true detective mm, and novel.
0: really, you know, like all the, the all the great noir protagonists, I am deeply flawed. <laughs> yes, shades of grey, one could say. <laughs> yeah, Um. this week, folks, we're talking about L.A. Confidential, uh, a banger from the year 1997, I believe. Mm. Um, I was only one in 1997. I was zero. Wow. Yeah. While wow, this movie's... Well, maybe I would have been a couple months old, this, yeah. m- this movie's like a... Like, I think it came out, what, in the summer? So... It would wow, be I would May. have been four months old. Wow. Oh, yeah. There we go.
1: There's some good doxing material for you all, there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but yeah, you're probably thinking, Ewan, why are you covering LA Confidential? I mean, it's a good movie, but is it necessarily a dad movie vibe? And I'm like, you know what? It absolutely is, folks. Um, because, I mean, I associate a lot of 90s drama, thriller... Action suspense movies with the dad movie Umbrella. Although I wouldn't say that noir overall fits in that bracket. Um, maybe for The Summit does, but I really wanted to talk about this film this year um, because I finally finished the third book in James Elroy's LA Quartet, um, which is LA Confidential. Before that, I'd read The Black Dahlia and then The Big Nowhere, and then after that, I've got white jazz which i am vibrating with excitement to read because uh it, it ends differently to how the movie does yeah. and it really leaves you hankering for a certain a certain, a certain irish uh police captain to to get what's coming to him
1: bear in mind this book is i'd say maybe like 10 centimeters thick <laughs> um and so apologies for those that don't use the metric system um <laughs> but uh yeah, like, it's super thick, and it's taken you a two years to well, read, bearing- because you keep putting it on and yeah. off, and whenever you do read it, you're engrossed, and you're going, yeah. Zan, listen to this fucked up shit in this book. Yeah,
0: it's really bad. I have, um, like, there's so many distractions in this house, basically. Like, it takes me, it takes a lot of motivation for me these days to, like, sit down and actually read, read. It never used to be an issue before. Even though I feel like I am reading more than I used to, it's a weird thing. So I'd be basically reading all of Elroy's stuff on our train journeys, um, where I have no distractions and I can just commit. Um...
1: No one knowing you're an absolute sicko. Oh man, sat down having... reading about like people like getting their skulls like fucked with Vaseline.
0: Mm, holes and yeah, stuff. you've already, you've already, already opened that. Yeah, wind. yeah, yeah. I am. Hey, of... the
1: movie has some pretty dark stuff as well, so we can go there. <laughs> I'm kind
0: of like covering the book with one arm, just making sure no one sees all the slurs yeah. <laughs> on the page. So, um, a, brief, a brief introduction to James Elroy, and I guess my own kind of relationship with noir, film noir. Uh, it's kind of been a recent-ish
1: genre discovery. You very discovery. much enjoy the noir um, now. Like, yeah. I've
0: always been a fan of noir, but I made a more concerted effort to get into it the other year. Um, And I'm going to blame that on... Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips, because, um, those guys, they, um, Ed Brubaker, um, for those who don't know, he wrote the best run of Captain America in the early 2000s, um, lo and behold, the big two are pieces of shit, big two, Marvel, DC, who, um, don't look after their talent, particularly Marvel, they're really bad for this, so, like, all good creators. Um, Ed uh, went to the indie scene and did a bunch of cool stuff at Image Comics, a lot of it um, in the noir genre. So you have the Criminal series. Um, but the things that really kind of hooked me in, um, there was Pulp, mm-hmm. which I maintain was the best comic book of, I believe it was 2020. Mm-hmm. God damn, that was three years ago. Um, number one on what culture comics is uh, oh, best comics of the year, um, and also the fade out. Uh, mm. And then there's also Fatal. I yeah. believe I've got like a couple of volumes of that. Just brilliant stuff, and it kind of really compelled me to dive deep more so into into noir-y stuff. So I watched Out of the Past for the first time last year. Um, Bad Day at Black Rock which is kind of like a noir western fusion not like Pulp but obviously Pulp was a western noir fusion as well um, and I also watched Treasure of the Sierra Madre which is again western noir fusion some, a yeah. pattern here. Uh, Maltese
1: Falcon does that count? Yeah
0: Maltese Falcon definitely counts um, even, even
1: parody Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid. And
0: Dead we- yes Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid yeah. and then there was also the Fritz Lang one uh, I believe it's White Heat Lee Marvin's in it. He... It's very
1: compelling you listing noir for our listeners to go
0: Yeah, into, I mean, you should like all that. go watch those movies. They're great, especially Out of the Past and Treasure of the Sierra Madre. But
1: you, I have noticed, I have noticed you've gone very into noir in the past few years. Maybe you're just a sad man who wants to watch other men be sad. So this is, the, <laughs>
0: this is the thing, right? I have discovered that bad, just devastatingly bad, like, endings and outcomes, there is a chemical that it releases in my brain where I realise that I'm having the, the shit kicked out of me, but I'm like, oh, more please.
1: <laughs> I think the scientific term I've came up with for that is um, uh, sickest little fuckus.
0: <laughs> I am, I am the sicko's me yeah, reading yeah. In, on James Elroy. Um, but yeah, so Elroy was kind of pointed on, like, uh, just from l- reading that, I was like, I want to read some some stuff. I like LA Confidential, so I'm going to read his books. Uh, and then I didn't know that he... Done so many, so I just picked up the LA Quartet. Black Dahlia, amazing, straight up banger. The Big Nowhere, amazing, straight up banger. LA Confidential, amazing, straight up banger. So I can't wait to read White Jazz, and I was really excited to eventually re watch LA Confidential this year because it'll be my first time kind of interrogating it as an adaptation.
1: And you have actually watched The Very Bad Brian De Palma black dahlia movie just to have a baseline level of comparison
0: yeah (laughs) yeah folks the black dahlia movie like the book is is brilliant and i feel very bad for anyone who has seen the movie and not Not read the book book, because it's a huge shame like de palma and elroy should be a match made in heaven but everything about that film it kind of just loses the uh the appeal of the novel source Um, and and, and of Elroy's prose and writing more generally. And I I should say as well that Elroy's stuff isn't like typical of the genre that I have seen. It's very matter of fact, period, authentic and incredibly politically incorrect and not in an edgelord type way. It's just interrogating the historical context and presenting it as it is. So it's um, the protagonists are, like most of our protagonists, pretty flawed but this goes beyond any kind of like minor moral foibles a lot of these characters racist homophobic um vehemently beat beat women like vehemently conservative (laughs) misogynistic and all this and they do lots of awful things um and you know la confidential for people who have seen the movie will know that you know none of the characters in that film are any you know they're, they're not they're not the perfect little uh, immaculate flowers either, but in the novel it, it goes mm-hmm. it goes way further. Yeah. And we
1: can go in th- into that with the the characters as well. Yeah, get yeah. a bit More deep dive.
0: Um, so yeah, uh, L.A. Confidential is the third book in Elroy's quartet, um, and it picks up. You know, you can read each novel individually, and but there is an overarching. Well, not an overarching story. I mean, LA Confidential picks up from where The Big Nowhere leaves off. Yeah, there are um,
1: share there are shared characters across the yes. books, but you don't need to read. Yeah, them you all do too. You
0: can you can read them in isolation. Um, but I would definitely recommend going from Black Dahlia uh, and then, you know, because you get you basically you that Dudley Smith appears for the first time in Black Dahlia gets an even bigger role in um in Big Nowhere and that continues in LA Confidential. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, so LA Confidential itself, it focuses on three different protagonists. The year is 1953. Um, you have Ed Exley, um, portrayed in the movie by a then-unknown Guy Pierce, mm-hmm. Um, Bud White, um, played by an also relatively unknown, Russell Crowe. Uh, Trash Can Jack Vincennes, portrayed by Kevin Spacey. E- um, and then you, those those are basically your three main protagonists, and it's 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 kind of one of those weirdly difficult plot synopses to give because it really is just vibes. There's stuff wrong in the City of Angels, and it's very <laughs> Yes,
1: yeah, yeah. so, so as as a as a cleanest way that I can describe it, and bear in mind, I, I will try and make this pod not just comparing it to the book because that's mm-hmm. a bit reductive. But mm-hmm. there are some important changes I think that we can pick out, and we would recommend reading it. Um. The, as best as I can describe it the movie is about a, a significantly revolves around this sh- this uh, set of shootings that happen at this uh, restaurant called The Night Owl The Night Owl Cafe and they try to solve um, who's behind it and it involves a ring of uh, prostitutes who have um, plastic surgery to look like movie stars, and um, there's also stuff about potentially rackets moving in because um, Mickey, Mickey Cohen, Cohen has just mixer. been arrested. Mickey Cohen has just been arrested, and so people are trying to move in on his old turfs. You get one shot of his dog, um, which Mickey is Mickey Cohen Junior, who has a fun- a proper funeral in the book as well. He
0: does. He yeah. bribes
1: his. Um, he bribes his. Um, uh, you, oh, oh, the mortician. Yeah, he bribes yeah. them to have a proper uh, funeral. So they, the dog just get a little, a little cameo, a in little the movie. child's casket. Yes, he does. Um, and so they realize that actually the people who they thought committed the night owl shootings actually weren't that, and there's a bigger conspiracy going on. Yes, that's about as best that's, as I'm gonna describe. That's a good this. hook.
0: Um, because I think one thing that is really apparent with LA Confidential. And also Elroy's prose. And I think it was interesting because reading up about this movie and and seeing why um, Hansen and screenwriter Brian Helgeland, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, um, were drawn to Elroy's books is because, not because of the, the plots, which... I will concede, can get very convoluted and confusing. Uh, There were times reading LA Confidential, I was like, what the hell is going on right now? (laughs) But because the characters are interesting, they draw you in, and even though they are such huge pieces of shit, by the time you get to the end of these books, you really do care and grow to love them. Um, And that is really where the adaptation excels best. It starts with those three characters the ambitious, the ferociously ambitious, um, golden Boy Ed Exley,
1: very career driven. Um, yeah. His father was killed in the line of duty, and so he is trying so hard to take any opportunity to really kind of get the edge. Um, yes. And the night owl he knows is going to be his big. He's going to be big his big break. career break. And
0: then you also have um, Jack Vincennes who um, in the film is a celebrity cop. He cozies up to this uh, Hollywood show called Badge of Honor, where he works as a technical advisor. And on the sly, he's working with smut peddler um, Sid Hudgens, who writes for Hush Hush magazine, which is a stand-in for the real-life confidential magazine that um, was, you know, a scandal rag at the time that basically focused on Hollywood celebrities. So he's feeding them information. He's His celebrity is increasing. It's all very kind of, you know, it's a vainglorious mission for old Trash Can Jack, which I will say, even though I think they do they get the essence of his character like really nicely in the film there is a lot that it leaves on the table and i feel like out of out of the three protagonists even though i would say that jack gets like a great deal of screen time and weirdly most of his nuance is kind of left on the floor.
1: And that is because, and we talked about this yesterday <laughs> after after watching it, that you know, his storyline in the book, he's dealing with like drug addiction and stuff as well. And really, it would have been a bit too confusing if he had multiple arcs going on. And in this movie, it's him realising, ha, huh, maybe selling information and being a celebrity cop actually is hurting people and yeah. is not what I set up. And there's a whole conversation he has with Exley where it's like, why, do, why are you even a cop anymore? And he's like, I forgot the reason. Yeah. So. Yeah.
0: And that's where the whole Rolo Tomasi stuff comes mm-hmm. in as well, which is fucking great. Oh yeah, by the way, folks, uh, if you haven't seen LA Confidential, please do go watch it before these two, these two mooks spoil it for if you. If
1: anything, it opens because the um, editor of Hush Hush Magazine is played wonderfully by Danny <sighs> DeVito, and it op- the movie opens with him... Basically, yes. reading Elroy talking about the city of angels and you can get anything for cheap on here and like yeah. oh it's a it's a great time. I forget the exact wording where it's like um, and you heard it here first
0: on the on the on the low on the down low on the QT and very hush hush. hush. De- Devito, yeah. the casting for this movie is exceptional. Yeah. like Magnus, it is yeah. absolutely spot on. Um, like James Cromwell in particular, as Dudley Smith, is like just he 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 transplants the the complete bastard energy of that character from the novels to the screen so well. That kind of, like, friendly, cordial, you know, (laughs) Irish grandfather (laughs) (laughs) who will give you a hug and then just stab you you in the the back, yeah. (laughs) Um, He does that so, so well. And, you know, uh, Pierce is great as the nerdy golden boy, Exley, and Russell Crowe, in his peak sexy 90s heyday, off the back of The Quick and the Dead in this, he... He gets uh, Bud White's like um, fierceness fierceness down, but also immediately conveys that sense of vulnerability and yeah.
1: Yeah, one of our favorite things to watch at the minute is GQ's series where it's like actors or directors talking about their favorite, almost iconic roles or movies or whatever. And we watched the Russell the Russell Crowe one recently. Um, when he talks about, about LA Confidential, he talks about how at the time, you know, he'd done like one fairly big-ish role when uh, in Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, he was an unknown. And the studio, which was Warner Brothers, were very, very against hiring him or Pierce for um, for, for this movie. Because they were like, we don't want unknowns to lead this cast. And especially knowing how much more morally grey those characters are in the book... Um, I can definitely see why they'd be like we do not want these two not very nice protagonists being played <laughs> by two unknowns that's not going to sell the movie. Mm. Um but the producers were basically just like no uh, we we've, we've chosen them and Russell Crowe was talking about how he was literally in the hotel room not knowing if one day the studio was just going to fire him because they didn't like the fact that they'd kept him on board. Mm. Um but I think as you say like I think he perfectly captures this at the essence of this character. He did note when um doing the read through for it that he said he didn't quite know why they wanted to pick him because physically he looks nothing like the description of him in the book at all. But as you say it's for this character it's someone who can look both like they will beat the shit out of you but they're also a very precious, soft buoyant underneath. very sensitive. Very um, sensitive. And he nails that. I think he, I think he's the best performance in the movie.
0: Yeah. He's fantastic. Um and, you know, I I just really think like that Elroy himself spoke about how well he thought this was, how good this was as an adaptation and despite it kind of cutting so much from the novel and he, and he himself, you know, was the first to say that he didn't think LA Confidential could be turned into a movie because Mm -hmm. the source is so dense. And really that's another interesting conversation is about how, how best to adapt these novels. And David Fincher had an idea in the early 2000s to make like a Black Dahlia TV show. Uh, or mini series rather, um, and you know there have been two attempts at an LA Confidential pilot. There was one in 2003, which was meant to be terrible, where Kiefer Sutherland plays Jack Vincennes. and there was one that was rated very highly in 2018, where Walton Goggins played Jack Vincennes. Um, so yeah, but yeah, the, the casting is is fantastic, and uh, it, it's just it's one of those where I'm like, oh, they they really they really hit it out of the park for that area.
1: Yeah, it is worth talking about. Uh, Academy Award-winning for this uh, for this Kim movie, Basinger. Kim Basinger um, as Lynn Bracken. Lynn Bracken. Um, so she is one of the prostitutes, um, and she um, she's one of the girls that hasn't had plastic surgery. In all fairness, she's just dyed her hair, um, but she is part of this uh, group of um, of sex workers who are being. Um, pimped for lack of a better word by this like million like millionaire Pierce patrick played by yeah. david Strahan who i he always like always
0: love seeing david straiton in a movie he's like up there with david warner is like oh he's in this it's gonna be a yeah. great time oh because
1: that's the thing is because one of the people who dies at the night owl shooting is one of the um sex workers yes i forget which celebrity she is she looks like but it's like the mother Rita can only, Hayworth, u- yeah, yeah the mother can only recognize her because of a birthmark on her body um, cause she's had that much surgery to make her look, look, um, like this, like this other person. Um, but Lynn, um, her, her role is, uh, she's meant to look like Veronica.
0: Veronica Brunker
1: Lake. Lane. Lake. A lake. Um, and, uh, Oh boy.
0: But sure does fall hard for her. Yeah, they have their, their romance has done really well here. Um, I mean, that, that, it's, it's also done well in the novel. But there's also like a more there's more of a love triangle. I mean, there's more of a love rectangle going on yeah. in the novel um, between four between the four of them. Uh, also, Inez Soto who is the rape victim, of the original night out suspects uh in the film she's involved with Exley and Bud in the novel um but yeah they 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 get on like a house on fire like they're they're so good in this and there's that great moment where Bud introduces well they're having that first conversation and it's kind of a little bit of a back and forth um and then she says, oh, you're the first man in, how- in like, 15 years. who didn't call me, uh, said that I look like Veronica Lake inside 10 minutes. and But just instantly replies with, you look better than Veronica Lake.
1: Objectively, an incredibly hot line.
0: <laughs> it is. It is very, very good. Um, they're just great together. Um, and, like, the chemistry of the cast overall is great. I-, I really like how Pierce and Crow play off each other here. They really do capture that... Uh, that competitive just they, these are two guys who hate each other's guts mm-hmm. like they really do and in the novel there is more cause for bud to hate Exley beyond just stensland losing his job because in the novel Stenland, stensland uh is prosecuted by Exley uh and gets executed mm-hmm. um for a number of crimes committed after he leaves the force so bird really does hate his guts <laughs> yeah and
1: in and in this it's because Exley's is a, a little snitch the
0: bloody christmas um affair. and
1: so he uh he basically is like i'll testify against your partner i don't care um which caused him to lose his jobs so that already they're not on a on a good a good standing with one another and their cases keep interlocking with each other or intersecting um which causes some tensions to uh to rise and information to be found out and um Exley sleeping with her, <laughs> with with Lynn, oh dear. Which again, um, in,
0: in the movie, it's like a blackmail thing, but in the novel, the reason why she sleeps with Ed is because she reminds of <laughs> uh, her, uh, herself, mm-hmm. like, two very... Um, Fake people. Th- yeah, yeah, basically, that whole idea of presenting a facade or whatever. Um, and it is interesting, I do want to talk a little bit about Exley's like character in this and the differences in the novel so in the novel um he is i guess you know i i mean a lot of people we spoke before about how much la noir the game takes from la oh completely
1: when i watched this for the first time i think maybe two three years ago Mm -hmm. i was like this is just la noir Mm -hmm. wow la noir like stole homaged. So much from like the aesthetic because this movie is so like technicolor to like the character tropes, direct right down to the fact they have an Irish like police captain yeah, and yeah. stuff. Um, you know, stuff about like housing bonds and stuff. Like a lot of LA Noir takes very direct inspiration from this movie, obviously, even down to like the title. Um, uh, Cole Phelps' character is very similar yeah, to yeah. So to Cole, Cole
0: Phelps is obviously very career driven, but the one detail that the movie misses out is that Ed Exley is a Pacific. Veteran, was mm-hmm. a war veteran who lied about his military record to get a medal of honor. So that immediately informs you just how much of an ambitious piece of shit this guy mm-hmm. is. Um, and in the novel as well, his his father isn't dead. His father's a a milli- a multi millionaire property mogul who's friends with a Walt Disney standing called Ray Dedlin, yeah. um, who
1: runs not Disneyland but Dream a Dreamland, Dreamer Dreamland.
0: <laughs> um, with Moochie Mouse is yeah. one of the characters <laughs> listed and stuff. Um, and he is way more, yeah, like, the careerist element there. So the the one thing that I did come away with on this rewatch is how, even though I feel like it really does get the soul of, of Elroy's text, uh, some of the nuance is lost. And I feel like, um, just in the comparison, like, the bit where the shotgun Ed moment where he tracks down where the Night Owl suspects have escaped yeah, to... Yeah, they've escaped custody. Um, in the novel he basically goes there um, withholding information from everyone else in the force uh, and murders them all in cold blood, They're not even carrying. Yeah, in, um, in the
1: movie, someone drops a glass, it spooks his partner. Yeah. And so people just start flinging bullets. He comes back covered in blood and he's like shell-shocked mm-hmm. um, and he gets his promotion. But in the book, he does it because he knows it's gonna yeah, it's, it's gonna make, gonna make him. Yeah. Um, whereas in the movie, it's very much like a unhappy accident, so to so to speak, um, and seeing kind of his rise in the force because the force also needs a golden boy, much yeah. like Cole Phelps in L.A. <laughs> Noir.
0: Um, exactly. I suppose we, we, you touched a little bit there about the the visual aspects of the film. It's such a sexy movie. Um, it looks so good, really. and I feel like visually, it's it's such a great approximation of Elroy's prose as well because it's got that, there's no nostalgia goggles here mm-hmm. for the era. There's the iconog the iconography is a fixture um, and you have like the ill-fitting sports jackets that, that, that Vincennes wears, you've got the Hollywood scandal, you know, you've got all this like, you know, landmark it's, LA iconography, but it's, it's very kitsch. It's like, it's, it's very, yeah. it's not, it's not nostalgia driven. Like it's always in the background. It's never in the foreground. It's never a case of like, um, you know, it feels very lived in and authentic. It doesn't feel like they're walking around on a movie set. It doesn't feel like it's trying to um, immerse itself and be introspective towards the way noir films have been typically presented. It's very much a case of like, if I, was, if I were to compare it to, another film it's like the saving private ryan of noir movies like it's very yeah. deliberately kind of you know real
1: yeah and i think partially because so much of noir classic noir is obviously black and white and mm. i almost feel like this movie goes against that because it's so technicolor like it's it's very bright like it's really saturated and it's you know it look it looks fantastic it looks like super glossy in high fashion um quite deliberately um because when you get to some quite heavy Im- quite heavy imagery because, again, the book, as we've said, can be really,
0: oh boy, very graphic. <laughs> Genuinely. Um. <laughs> I remember watching LA Confidential for the first time and the bit where they go into the bathroom and there's all those dead bodies and there's blood everywhere. Mm. I remember being like, oh, that's a bit grisly. And having read three of Elroy's books now, where some of the stuff he you describes... You ain't seen the things that i like, see. In the Night Owl Massacre bit, he's there saying how, like, our oh, faces splattered against walls, teeth to peel everywhere. Off, yeah. Like, you know, like... <laughs> whereas in this, they just got a few little pellet holes or whatever.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, like, I think that does contrast. Cause you do get some quite grim scenes in this. Um, and I think any more, they'd probably have pushed the rating maybe, maybe too far. Um, but I think its look is part of what makes it, you know so engaging as, as you say it really kind of draw draws you in to the point where um I almost feel like it almost especially because of the way the way they change the the ending some of the character the 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 characters I do feel like it's almost less of a noir and just more of like a crime thriller I don't mm. I feel like it teeters in cosplay I suppose as, as noir um to make it mildly more acceptable and reinvent reinvent is maybe a too big a word but kind of re portray the genre in a way that would make sense for that for the 90s. Yeah,
0: I get what you're saying there. I mean, the ending um the ending in this one it is slightly happier. That the twisted conceit in the ending here of course is that they decide to make Dudley a hero because anything any the truth would tarnish the the Los Angeles Police Department. Um whereas in the novel, um Dudley Dudley doesn't die. Um and he basically stays on the force. Um Bud White is basically implied to have been made disabled for life yeah <laughs> um and uh he just kind of rides away and leaves Ed to basically figure out a way of you know moving against Dudley in in, in the future or whatever so it's very much a case of like you know it, it still carries the spirit um but you know the, Bud, Bud and Ed are meant to be more heroic here which I've made my peace with it. I'm totally fine with it I do think it works for the purposes of the film the one thing the one thing that has rankled me. The one thing that has rankled me is Buzz Meeks.
1: Oh yes, they do your boy very dirty.
0: <sighs> Poor Buzz, man. Um, and I get it, I get why, because the book is so big and they have so much to adapt and the conspiracy in the book is way too convoluted. There are three different aspects going on there. You have the Fleur de Lis, um, prostitution and pornography conspiracy. You have the Mickey Cohen heroin uh, an organized crime rackets being controlled by Dudley Smith um, aspect, and then in typical uh, Elroy fashion, you also have a sicko serial killer that is actually the son, the illegitimate son of Walt Disney, going around and killing people. It's way too much to juggle. Um, but one thing that I do, I do kind of miss about the book is is Buzz Meeks. In the in the film, they they treat him as like you know he is he, in the novels he's a. He's a washed-up, has-been, former cop, who now works as a bagman man in Hollywood. As a Hollywood studio fixer, you'd call them. Um, working for, I believe it's Howard Hughes. Um, and in The Big Nowhere, he basically has this big heroic arc where he's like, I'm gonna avenge my closeted sheriff's deputy friend who I didn't realise was was gay and then has had to ended up killing himself because he was gonna get fucking... Gonna get outed, yeah. Gonna get outed, and it's kind of my fault that he died because I basically... Murdered someone and then the, the evidence pointed to him, but typical Be- well,
1: typical uh, yeah. Kel- Elroy, yeah, a lot guilt going on
0: there. But basically, it's a big heroic moment in the big nowhere. Uh, and then as he's getting away, you know, he kind of ends on a cliffhanger. and LA Confidential opens up with Dudley Smith murdering Killing him and your life, ah, you bastard. I know, and like um, he, that's, and here they do
1: him so dirty. Yeah. He's, a, he's just a corrupt a corrupt ex cop. Yeah,
0: it's a shame. Like I totally get it. Like it works for you know having got into this movie. Originally, when I watched it like twelve odd years ago, like I had no idea about Buzz mix. so it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. But for those who know, justice for Buzz. <laughs> yeah,
1: I think they, they make some of the main roles more archetypal, but not in not in such a, not in such a way for the protagonist that it causes too much of a of an issue. Um, I do really. Uh, linking back into kind of the really disgusting, gross imagery, um, I do really love what they do with Jack vincent's arc in this movie.
0: It's really um, good.
1: that'll Be a little bit too close to home. So one of the big turning points for his character is because uh, you know he's been selling all these dirty stories uh, to to Hush Hush magazine. Um, he is convinced by the editor to persuade this young actor to be like, hey, if you sleep. With, with, the DA, Ellis with the DA. With the DA, I can guarantee you a part on, part badge, on of badge of Honor. And he goes to check on him, and uh, this gay man's throat has been slit, and he's still breathing as he's on the floor, staring bleeding out, back at him. Staring straight back at him. Into and his soul. And it's, ooh, it is harrowing. And at that point, I think that's when he teams up with Exley to be like, um, he literally says I need to solve a homo side mm-hmm. oh dear but um, that's when they team up to really look into stuff um, and this movie does have some funny moments as well there's the bit where um, they go to the restaurant to quiz one of Mickey Cohen's um, <laughs> former bodyguards oh the
0: real life Johnny Stampanaro yes yes
1: um, and he um, is seeing someone who looks like uh, Lana Turner Lana Turner but it turns out that she is the actual Lana Turner um, which is also a real life thing Yeah. in the book is described by Mickey Cohen as having a cashmere pussy.
0: Yeah, he did. Um, and, and a fun fact for you folks, um, during the end of Stumpanado's relationship with Turner, um, she was apparently, she was shooting a movie with Sean Connery, I forget which one it was, he flew, he flew the way all the, flew the way, flew all the way over. He
1: <laughs> flew the way to England.
0: Flew, flew all the way over to the, to the UK. Um, and apparently pulled a knife on Shashawn, who then grabbed his hand firmly and told him to fuck off. And can you, can you recreate him.
1: that for me right now? <laughs> no.
0: <laughs> I can't. <laughs> a little shocker
1: Go fuck yourself Johnny Stampinato always
0: Stampanado. bring a knife to a gunfight yeah. <laughs> Johnny Stampanado. yeah yeah um, and... also
1: he was killed by Lana Turner's daughter Yeah, knifed yeah. Um,
0: and that also happens in the novel um, Stampinato in the novel is the the one incriminating uh, witness that they have against Dudley and his death basically means that Smith gets to go scot-free mm-hmm. um, you know
1: and it's fun, they go to the car, they she throws a drink on him, Yes. they get in the car afterwards, they're laughing about it, it's like, oh, thank God, a bit of, <laughs> a bit of chill times in this movie. But um, yeah, Jack's arc of him kind of realising, huh, maybe me doing all this celebrity stuff and like selling stories about people's misery is maybe actually not what i'm in this for yeah um and so his death which is the most elroy moment of the uh of the movie because it is so sudden yeah as you said in the book the way they describe characters being like and then they walked into the room and then he got shot anyway
0: yeah there's never he never draws it out he leaves yeah. you he leaves the the sudden the spontaneous the spontaneous you know it's it's great tapping into the fear of like death comes out of nowhere and then things move on um like, in, in the novel, um, him and Bud are, like, trying to stop a... a I forget speci- the specifics, because it came during a point in the novel where I was like, I have, I'm kind of lost here. But it comes during, a, like, a, a, a hijacked prison train escape. And they're both there, and, and, and Jack just literally catches a bullet in the face and dies. Mm-hmm. Um, and here he gets killed by Dudley.
1: Yeah, he uh, goes to Dudley because they found out something in the autopsy report. Um, and then they go to. Oh, it, oh at they least, find some, they it's find, Buzz Meeks' house. Yes, they find. Yeah. Uh, so they find some dead bodies underneath this woman's house, uh, who um, is revealed to be one Bo- of them. Revealed one of them
0: is one one Buzz, them is buzz Meeks. Yeah,
1: because uh, it's just rats down there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so he goes to Dudley Smith's house at night to tell him, and then Dudley just turns around as they're having a casual conversation. He's like, have you told anyone else? And just shoots him in the chest. Yeah, and then he looks into looks into his eyes. Uh, says Rollo Tomasi and, and smiles, and, smiles and, and laughs and then dies. Yeah. Um, which is significant because then Dudley then goes to Um Exley and say, oh, does the, the name Roller Tomasi mean anything to you?
0: And immediately <laughs> Meanwhile, <he's> like, Ed is <laughs> <laughs> shaking his um, glass everywhere.
1: <laughs> and uh, Dudley Smith is his Roller Tomassi because he's the guy that gets away Ga- with The guy
0: that got away. Yeah. But it's also great because you can also construe that line as like the bit where Jack rediscovers his you know, his purpose, you know, the mm-hmm. Tomasi is, is his existence. He's mm-hmm. found his way, you know, and again, it does a good job of showing like his lost potential. The whole, the whole big be- thing being that when he teams up with Exley, he's just as intuitive and smart and mm-hmm. savvy about getting shit done. Um, and I also love that bit, um, the scene where, uh, Sid is convincing him to uh, get, I think the actor's name's like something Reynolds uh, like Matt Reynolds or something like that. He's convincing him to sleep with Ellis Lowe. There's the bit where Jack sizes himself up in the mirror and he's got that big ridiculous white sports jacket yeah. <laughs> on and he knows it doesn't, it doesn't fit him. Mm. It, like, and Obviously the style at the time is the big suit mm-hmm. but in a, in a spiritual sense that role isn't his Mm -hmm. it's all it's all facade it's all it's all it's all you know fake and a lot of you know Elroy's text is about the idea of like the pristine varnished image of you know 50s and 40s Los Angeles the golden age of Hollywood you know you can only repress so much that it's going to come out in in horrible ways and and that's kind of where you know the, the big appeal lies there and I feel like visually this you know it, it really does, it really does get that. There's a good tonal juxtaposition between the glamour and the the awfulness of, of what's actually transpiring. And Dudley, like, J- again, James Cromwell, he does Dudley Smith, so, so fucking good in this. If I was doing L.A. Confidential now, I'd, I'd give the role to Liam Neeson. Uh, I think he would do a really good job in that. But Cromwell, one of the great 90s that guy actors. He's also in iRobot. it's for a in iRobot, too. No, that's nice. I like iRobot. Maybe we'll do iRobot at some <laughs> point, and we will do iRobot at some point. Yeah, it,
1: the the movie it's two, just over two hours long, and it goes very. Oh my god, quick. it flew!
0: I couldn't believe how yeah, quickly it, went it very flew. Quick. I
1: was like, "Oh, Jack's dead already!" But no, we were an hour and a half in when he dies. Um, so the movie like fly, flies by you, and you know, we talked a bit earlier about the the um, the TV shows that didn't get off the ground. Um, but I would kind of want to see what they could do with this in a long, in like a Chernobyl-style, like, long episode mini series format. So you could really dive deep. And I think now we're more accepting of morally grey and flawed protagonists.
0: This is the thing. is like, I feel like one of my biggest... One of the things that frustrates me most is when people watch something and they criticise the characters for being unlikable. It's like a character doesn't need to be unlikable for you to follow them. Obviously, you know if that's what you want, if you want, if if all you derive out of the story is wanting to relate to a character, then I understand that. But there is, there's just a joy about following on, following someone who, you know, isn't great. I'll always bat for that more than I will someone who is completely pristine. And of course the, the genius of, of Elroy's books is that they start like, like what Hansen, um, and, uh, Helglund, kind of tapped into when they were looking at the source is that they start off and you completely resent these guys but the more you go in the more you kind of come to you know you realize these are these are just guys fighting for their soul you yeah because if like,
1: the the first time we see bud he is staking out this house where there's a domestic abuse thing going on where guys like just come out of mm-hmm. parole or something and his partner's like ah just leave it doesn't matter and he is like blood is born he goes and like Pulls down the Christmas decorations. He's look. He's looking f- to start something, mm-hmm. um, and you know we eventually find out later on. Pe- um, someone says to him like, "Oh, I know you've got quite a a, per- um, a perchance for like uh, w- uh, women beaters and stuff." Um, and you know he is the first person like after they find this this rape victim, which is the most gruesome I think imagery you get in the mm-hmm. movie. Um, you know he immediately covers her with a blanket. He shoots the guy who's captured her, even though they wanted to question him. Um, and he fakes it so they've yeah. it looked like he'd shot back at him. Yeah. Um and then when, you know, she's getting pulled into the ambulance and actually they say, like, oh, I've gotta ask you a few questions, and he's like, Leave her the fuck alone. Yeah. Um, and so you're kind of like, Oh, like he really like he really like feel feels for women, and you find out it's because he watched his mother get beaten a lot as a kid and was tied to a radiator and watched her die and was left it's... there for three days, and you're like, Oh, this explains a lot, um, and so when he has his little character moment of where Exley, he finds out Exley has slept with um with Lynn, he goes back and he's absolutely furious, and he punches her, and he's like, "What? Oh my god, I've become the thing that yes. I hate most." Um, and so you know, he he, he oh, it's such a good performance from Russell Crowe. Like he is, he's such like, like you say, like the characters, like they start off and they are like. <laughs> bad people and you know morally flawed people but i think the difference and i think we've talked about this before the difference between a character who is unlikable and a character who is morally um reprehensible or like um a anti-hero or whatever you want to call it is that if the re- if the reasonings and the storytelling behind why they are like that is compelling enough, that is enough to bring you f- like to take you on that journey with them.
0: Yeah, and I, I always I always think it's a better achievement to make you like a piece of shit than it is to you know make you like someone who is good. Yeah, like that's that's the whole thing, and I think that's the the the, the recurring thing of why I keep coming back to these books and why I find them so compelling is that it's like well these guys they they they've completely had their their souls swallowed by this uh what's what's been happening and then when that humanity bursts through you want you want to root for them to get that heroic moment which of course with it being noir <laughs> you always get your, your shit kicked in before a lot of them do get that heroic moment and if they do get that heroic moment it's usually followed up by a devastating punchline um but that's 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 the joy of it. That's, that's yeah. what's so fun about it. One
1: of the uh, scenes that I, I want to talk about is um, the interrogation scene they have with the suspects mm-hmm. of the night owl shooting, um, because that is Ed Exley in full like career mode. He is going back and forth between like three different interrogations. So rooms. he
0: is he is like de- he is a he is a prodigy of a de- detective, yes. both in the novel and the film. He like, wants he is... to
1: be promoted promoted to lieutenant. and They're like, mate, you've only been here like yeah so many years. You know that's not going to happen for you. Um, and you know it's, he's using like the intercom to like spook each of the suspects in each of their rooms. Um, and, and it's like pretty harrowing. Like there's a like basically Young like kid. a kid in there who's like peed himself because he's like that like anxious. Um, and he's like sobbing. Um, and Ed's just like going. He's just grilling them. Like, and all of them outside are like, "Wow, look at this guy go." <laughs> Um and so when he has to shoot them all, there is that element of his kind of arc being like, Oh, what have I done for the cost of uh, of my career? Um but I think that that scene as well that exemplifies what we talked about, how the movie does also downplay some of the racial aspects. Yeah, of this, the is, book this is this is well. this is
0: an interesting this is a very important point. Because the language of Elroy's novels is it's brutal. Like it is really brutal. Um, you know it's I wouldn't. I wouldn't begrudge anyone for not wanting to get into it because it is difficult to to see some really nasty words flying all the time. But we see it in actions as well in films all the time, so it makes sense. Um, the thing. The, the thing about the night owl in the movie, um, which they do talk about, they do mention it. The whole idea is that these three suspects were framed because they were black. And they would be easy to sentence. They wouldn't have any kind of you know legal means of defending themselves. They'd be easy to you know prosecute because of race, prevailing racist attitudes in the American justice system. Um, in the in the novel, that racial element gets taken even further because Dudley Smith is a huge, huge racist piece of shit character. Every character in 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 these books is is racist. Uh, and homophobic, even even the gay ones, <laughs> yeah, even the gay ones <laughs> yeah. are like,
1: I hate myself. <laughs> yeah.
0: um, but the whole thing is that Dudley takes control, or is trying to take control of of Cohen's heroin rackets, so he can funnel them into black neighborhoods mm. and stuff. And it kind of really dives into the the racial politics of it all. Like, it's not all it's it. The presentation is like definitely. Definitely can be criticised, and I would criticise a lot of aspects to it. Uh, that goes for you know the misogyny and the um, the the homophobic aspects as well. Um, but that kind of political element to it is is more pronounced in in, in the novel. And yeah, Dudley Smith is a huge, huge, huge piece yeah. of shit. <laughs> and fun-
1: fundamentally, that is still an important plot point in the movie because mm-hmm. the um, the rape victim is Mexican. Mm-hmm. I want to say. And she admits after, you know, they're hounded by this press brief into Exley, like, oh, maybe, you know, maybe they did it. And he's like, no, you said in your statement that those are the guys that did it. And she was like, look, no one's going to care that I got raped. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't really affect me. I just wanted to get out of there. And I just gave you what you wanted to hear.
0: That's what happens. In the, in the novel, they have a whole relationship. And the moment where she reveals that to Ed and he's like... He, he kicks off with the most vile race like racist like kind of like response to her um, when she she points that out to him because you know he's he's a complete hypocrite. Ed Exley is a hypocrite piece of shit in the book um, who only really kind of comes good on on making amends in the, in the closing act where he realizes that his entire legacy. Um, and that of his father's as well is fabricated and completely built on lies and, and career ambition. And that's the great moment in, in the novel is when he realizes that, you know what, fuck it, I'm just going to burn all of it down. I'm going to burn all of it down. Which, which, is,
1: which is the line that I think, I believe that Guy yes. Pierce says in the movie when he, yeah. him in. Uh, birds settle their differences and he goes do you want to burn it all i think he says do you want to burn it all down with me yeah yeah,
0: yeah. no and it's yeah their friendship here is is really it kind of like the whole uh fire and ice aspect mm-hmm. um like that that stuff is really good and yeah i suppose we should talk about the the kind of final mm-hmm. moments of the movie um where we go back to the victory motel which again it was great watching this as an adaptation and being like oh it's that place. It's that place. They do a really good job with it, um, and they kind of go there and basically it's it's a setup by Dudley, and they have their kind of big heroic shootout at the end. Which again,
1: there's one guy that gets fucked up. Oh he my gets god! Shot I, through the window. I was like, we were, we were watching it. and I
0: literally yelled, "Eat shit, asshole!" Because <laughs> <laughs> that dude takes. He got fucked up. He got like shotgunned. He got shotgunned pistold. and
1: pistoled at the same time. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. It's a great One
1: album. guy got, um, uh, because, uh, Bud goes under the floorboards oh, yeah. into the crawl space and he shoots the guy from underneath like it's the Hateful Eight. Yes. he's <laughs> with his it's shotgun. A,
0: it's a really fun action sequence. Yes. Yeah. I really enjoy that one. Um, and it kind of, kind of, you know, it comes almost a bit out of nowhere, mm-hmm. but that's kind of the fun of it. It's more like the shootout that Buzz Meeks has at the beginning of LA Confidential. Oh,
1: you really like that Buzz Meeks Look, <laughs> I really like
0: Buzz Meeks. I really like... When he eats food as well. Does
1: he well? make you buzz weak at the knees?
0: Oh, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> but he also eats really cool food. He is that bit in Big Nowhere and he's like, he had like a peach pie drowned in ice cream. or something. <laughs> and I'm like, oh man, I want a peach pie drowned in ice cream. Mm-hmm. Um they have their big shootout and then Dudley comes in at the end and gets the drop on both Bud and Ed. Uh, and basically at that point, Dudley thinks that Ed's a w- still that weak, career ambitious fool, um, who might go might go along with everything. Uh, and it kind of plays back into that line at the beginning of the movie would it be like, um when Dudley's roasting or grilling Ed being like, Would you fabricate evidence if it would help you secure a conviction? would you shoot a suspect in the back if it meant preventing him from hurting someone else? Ned's like, no, no, no. Mm. And then at the end, what does he do? Shoots him in the back. Shoots Dudley in the back, taking those lessons and applying them to the ironic nth degree. Uh, Some good poetic justice. So
1: it is is, um, an anti-noir ending in that it is mildly happy.
0: It is mildly happy, but you do have the whole thing at the end where Dudley Smith, basically dies a hero to preserve the, the yes. reputation of the Los Angeles Police yes, Department.
1: Yes, and actually still gets that promotion and is begrudgingly given it by uh, some of the, the people on the force in the DA's office. Yeah. Um, because he's like, well, the only man who can confirm any of this, I shot. And we definitely don't want a, ba- a bad press day. Uh, what are we going to do about it, lads? Um, <laughs> you want a hero? I think you actually need two. Mm-hmm. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, it's really good. I mean, I, I feel like definitely the decision to excite, like to get rid of so much of the novel's conspiratorial elements, uh, pays dividends in the final act because there is a lot that Elroy has to uh, wrap up in, in the finale of LA Confidential. Um, and even though it like, it leads to a more kind of, um, nuanced painting of the three leads, um, plot wise, it was definitely the wiser decision here to focus it just on the, 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 the Mickey Cohen, um, heroin racket we don't get
1: we don't get walt disney standing committing suicide at the end of this no we don't we don't (laughs) get
0: um yeah walt Walt disney ray dialing does not die (laughs) um preston xley's father doesn't you know whatever like it's um it's it's an interesting it's a really good case study for how to do an adaptation well while still changing quite a lot
1: yeah because after you finished it, you were like, oh, actually, like, I can see this is a very, I can, from going back into, I can see this will be a very good adaptation. I totally understand why they cut this out. Yeah. And then watching it, you're going, hmm, I kind of wish they did this, did this. So it's, 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 it's interesting. And in true dad fashion for this podcast, we've talked a lot about the book <laughs> <laughs> that this movie was based on being, you know, being like, oh, have you read th- have you read the novel? or oh, Kraken novel. That My, anyway. my parents,
0: oh. whenever we watched The Godfather, would always be like, oh, booked better. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so maybe this has been a really authentic experience, actually. Maybe but, um, it has been. You know, the LA Confidential is a very good movie. Um, I it's think, wonderful. I would say I maybe enjoyed it less than, than my first watch, only because I've seen passively through you so much more noir. And I feel like it is more of just a crime movie than a noir mm. movie. And I think in terms of aesthetic and the way it treats some of its characters. Um, but I think in terms of performances and like launching uh, Guy Pearce and Russell Crowe's uh, career, um, and as much as he is a piece of shit, Kevin Spacey is really good in this, as yes. as, as as he annoyingly is in many movies. Yeah. Um, my my only wild hot take I'd say is that I think Basing is just fine. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she is as good as her chemistry is with Russell Crowe. I think without that, I, I personally don't feel like it is necessarily a. High tier, top tier performance, but you know, I wasn't in the academy in 1988, so uh, 1997. Ni- 99- no, because the movie would have been uh awarded stuff in '98.
0: Oh, after. I thought you said
1: 1988.
0: Oh, well, I'm tired. Here's <laughs> <is> getting late. <laughs> We should just go replay LA Noir and get scared chasing the uh, the serial killer in the sewers, yeah, yeah, yeah. Great time, but yeah, I think I think that just about covers everything we have to say about LA Confidential. A wonderful movie. I genuinely have so much affection for it still. Um, Even though I can't decide in my brain whether I would take it over the novel or not, I think they're both really, they both stand alone really nicely. And I feel like if you you really like LA Confidential, even though I've spoiled most of the novel for you now, um, you should still go read it. Because if you enjoyed spending time with Ed, Bud, and Jack, even though they suck big time, <laughs> um, you'll get a kick out of reading the book. Um, it's definitely, yeah, no, great. Um, yeah, this has been We Love Dad Movies podcast. Uh, before we go, I want to give a quick shout out to our patrons. Thank you to Christopher Darby, George Jackson, Thomas Mulgrew, Shaka, and Josh Brown, your support. Means the world. If you want to go support the Wheel of Dad Movies, pod- Wheel of Dad Movies podcast, it's getting late, folks in the city of angels. Um, you can go, you can do so at Patreon.com and find Wheel of Dad Movies there. You can follow Wheel of Dad Movies on Twitter at Wheel of Dad Movies. You can follow me on Twitter at Ewan thing. You can also follow me on Letterboxd uh, where I'm just you Patterson. Uh, Zan doesn't exist.
1: You can find me on the Down Low, on the QT very hush hush hush.
0: oh that was good yeah that was good yeah see you later folks (laughs) bye